to the North Group. Security, refined by intelligence. We're here to spotlight the best practices and critical safety and security issues in today's world and provide actionable strategies that you can implement into your day-to-day -day operations. From the individual to organizational level, our goal is to improve your risk management and response capabilities. Thanks for spending time with us today, and here's your host. So good morning, everybody. Steve Hernandez here uh, with the North Group. Um, we have some uh, amazing guests on today. We're going to discuss things in uh, regarding cyber and information security and what the world of technology is doing today and what it looks like tomorrow. So without further ado, uh, Chris, Ashley, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Sounds good, and very. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys today. And um, so I'll, I'll kind of start. Um, so my name is Chris Bullock. I'm actually um, the CEO and managing member of a Cyber Investigations and Intelligence Agency. Um, I have a, a lengthy background, so I'm not going to go into a lot of length in that background, but I'll say that um, I have uh, over three decades of law enforcement experience um, and uh, over two decades of experience as a CISO um, executive cyber cybersecurity leader at many Fortune um, 100 companies um, and have done uh, a great deal of work in uh, penetration testing and digital forensics. Yes, hi, and I'm Ashley Ferguson. I'm president and managing member of Cyber Investigations and Intelligence Agency, also known as CI2A, and I, I bring two decades of risk management, compliance, privacy, and security experience across a variety of industries. So we are, um, we are punching way above our weight class with you two on technology here. So we'll, so try to, uh, <laughs> try to keep it on, uh, on, on, on our level so that we can understand, um, Absolutely. understand because you guys just have so much experience. Um, you know, a lot of times we hear the things like, you know, terminology like cybersecurity, information security, um, a lot of times I, you know, clients will go, I need security, but they're talking about cyber. Uh, a lot of times folks will come to you and say, I need security. They're not talking about cyber. They're talking about physical. So there's definitely a big difference in the industry, right? Between what, you know, what a physical security risk management consultant and a cyber security consultant does, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in yeah. fact, um, that interestingly, um, I've actually written some papers on this, but, you know, cyber can manifest itself into a physical situation and, you know, a physical situation can, uh, you know, manifest itself over to um, a, uh, a physical situation. So, you know, it can, it can go both ways or a, a cyber situation. So it can go both ways, um, you know, in, in the way that it manifests itself. I think the two together are definitely um, uh, two areas now that have to be explored um, together because um, of the exposure that everyone has, you know, um, and the way that technology is burgeoning uh, in our in our society today. Now, what do you guys, when you hear the term digital footprint, right, because I, I have a lot of clients and, and we use this term with our customers all the time that we need to understand what your digital footprint is. Uh, because exactly to what you just said, that does open the risk liability profile up um, to, to greater exposure when their digital footprint is higher. So can you, can you talk about that digital footprint um, for both, you know, industry professionals that listen to the podcast, clients, you know, um, 
you know, employees of the industry and help them understand exactly your guys' perspective as, as industry providers, what that digital footprint does. Certainly, yes. And, uh, you know, digital footprint, um, uh, actually, I can joke about it from time to time. It's kind of becoming a buzz term in the industry. Um, and and the many organizations actually, and ones that claim to be experts, you know, don't really realize exactly what a digital footprint is. So most of the time, you'll hear um, folks say that the digital footprint is, is mainly what they do on the internet or their their social media exposure, you know, those types of things. But it's actually so much more than that. It's it's uh, it's about the habit-based information that's retained on, on us as individuals by organizations. You know, it's about the, the settings on their smartphone. Um, you know, significant locations is an example there. Um, your your sync settings in iCloud and what uh, they all allow for external parties to gather. Um, the information, you know, that you're connected to via your smartphone, you know, it, it collects so much data on us, um, you know, every minute um, and and the people who have access to that um, could be nefarious individuals um, or nefarious individuals can gain access to that um, through you know techniques so uh, digital footprint is it's commonly talked about is really uh, much more um, it's much larger than what most people think it is um, and I'm gonna um, you know throw it over to Ashley too for her for her thoughts on that so Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, I think people in this age, I was particularly within the pandemic, um, there's so much more activity online that, that families and individuals and corporations didn't realize and plan for in this day and age. I mean, if you look at the example of, of TikTok, you know, there's been all of these different pieces, you know, Zoom came into the conversation. And so if people really take a step back and look at the information that's being collected and how it's being used. So even um, when you look at certain free services out there and that collection of data and information and really how that creates essentially that digital footprint that can, can create pattern of life indications for an individual, provide information about their habits, how to, um, you know, advertise for them, but it also creates an exposure area in the cyber world. Yeah, it actually provides, you know, a, a, a pathway to an attack. Um, you know, as as we know, you know, just, just as physical protections are important that um, the, you know, most criminals who are going to take their time and, you know, maybe a little more advanced, even some not so advanced, you know, gather intelligence before they, they you know, perform an attack. Um, one main reason because they don't want to get caught, you know, they don't want to get in trouble and, um, or, or be harmed, you know, by the, I would say it's a homeowner, it's a home invasion. So they do a lot of intelligence gathering. Um, the, uh, the kind of folks that we work, um, and, and, uh, deal with from a cyber criminal perspective are, are typically more advanced type of criminals, um, or they're criminals that are traditional that have become advanced because the tools available to do so have become so easy to use. You can watch a YouTube video on how to, you know, go and commit specific types of attacks, um, you know, today and not even have to, uh, to know a whole lot about technology. So uh, the, the exposure that we have from a digital footprint uh, perspective is providing that intelligence um, gathering. You know, the, most of the times when I've done penetration tests in the past, and any penetration tester you'll talk to, um, which is a penetration tester is basically somebody that, that um, does what's called ethical hacking. They try to uh, attack an organization. 
um, before the attackers attack the organization to show them what their weaknesses are so they can shore those up. Well, the, the intelligence gathering um, phase of a pen test is one of the most important uh, pieces, and it really utilizes that um, what we call open source intelligence information, and we'll probably get into that in a bit, I'm sure, but um, you know, all the other additional information. Well, um, it's becoming so um, exposed now from a, a daily life uh, routine activity uh, perspective because we all have our smartphones with us you know, daily, and the things that they're transmitting out about us, um, about the various applications and such, you know, are, are providing a lot of information for those attackers to, to attack from. What do you feel, you mentioned TikTok. So I've been getting yes. a lot of stories about TikTok, both from, you know, parents on my child's football team, um, neighbors, former clients, uh, current clients, everybody's asking about TikTok. I put something out on social media recently. I just said, TikTok's a no-go, stay away from it. Um, a lot of exposures. To talk about that real quick. Talk, talk to listeners and, and help them understand what, what the risk factor is there. Absolutely. Yeah. So TikTok, you know, it's, it's got multiple vulnerabilities um, in it. Um, just, you know, many social media platforms do. Um, I believe, you know, part of the uh, nation state ownership that's been uh, identified from TikTok is, is a thing that's, you know, kind of uh, disturbing. Um, you know, some of the attacks that are out there have been, you know, the being able to do some of the uh, uh, fake video swapping and impersonations, um, you know, those types of things. Uh, and TikTok in and of itself, uh, just like any other social media platform, we tell all our clients, you know, any, any social media exposure you really need a limit. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of these, um, one thing I didn't mention about my background is I've done a lot of work for um, Internet Crimes Against Children's Unit. Um, I've been an investigator um, uh, for probably two decades now um, in that area. Um, and, you know, the exposure for children uh, for social media and particularly TikTok, you know, um, Instagram, you know, there's so many different social media platforms that um, uh, the, the bad guys know. Um, that they they come in from a uh, um, you know certain angle to attack, and unfortunately children are are one of the main um, uh, you know groups that are attacked because we have that you know very nefarious um, piece of our population that um, you know has bad intentions uh, uh, with children. So you know I think just like any other social media platform, TikTok's um, uh, very risky. Um, and completely agree, you know, because of the way that um, uh, kind of the TikTok uh, infrastructure is is kind of put together, that it's probably more exposed than, than more social social than most social media platforms. So we talk about the importance of knowing the digital footprint. What what type of both external or internal risk assessment can individuals perform? both on the customer facing side or, or just everyday, everyday citizens, everyday individuals that don't necessarily need to, to hire folks like us, but what can they do to understand their risk profile? How can they evaluate the digital footprint and, and what recommendations would you give to those individuals? 
Sure. Yeah. I think it may be good to kind of talk about, um, you know, first the, uh, the, the, that importance of knowing your, your digital footprint, um, as you kind of mentioned, um, you know, the typical ways that, that one actually hears uh, of, of the digital footprint being used is, you know, identity theft, fraud, extortion. Um, however, there are actually many uh, other, you know, more co covert ways in which someone's digital footprint can be used to farsely, um against them you know, to the extent it can even be used to plan an up close and personal attack, as we said, you know, manifest itself from a cyber situation to a, a physical situation. You know, today there's over 70% of the population uh, that's connected to social media. Um, there's going to, there actually right now is over 31 billion connected things um, on the internet. And uh, you'll hear that term, another buzz term in IT, but it's called the Internet of Things, um, which basically means anything other than a computer system that's attached to the internet. So our refrigerators, our grills, I mean, there are so many different things now that connect and have a Wi-Fi connection and get on the internet. Um, you know, it, that, that footprint becomes broader and broader and broader. Um, if you ask most people to put their phone down, their smartphone down for just an hour, they can't do it. You know, society has slowly been fed this addiction of technology to the extent that it takes a deliberate and concerted effort to actually uncement ourselves from our technology, even for a short period of time. You know, the nefarious actors are, are learning this. You know, they, they know this, um, particularly ones that are going to take their time to, um, you know, really do a very um, specific type of attack. You know, each and every technology in a person's life can provide that specific, um, as Ashley mentioned earlier, pattern of life activity about that person. So from the thermostats to the smart locks, to the smart blinds, smart water meters, you know, we've worked a lot of different cases where we found vulnerabilities in um, various types of Internet of Things devices that are connected things inside of a home um, that can be used against those individuals, you know, from locks that are online that can be breached um, to blinds that can be manipulated to, um, you know, audio-visual uh, audio systems that can be turned and used to surveil the individual you know, even the metadata or the data about data, that's what metadata is when we talk about metadata. So if you think about the date and time stamp of a file, um, the date and time something's occurring from a technology perspective, somebody's turning their thermostat up, for instance, you know when they're in that home. Uh, there's been even reports uh, and read a lot of research around uh, some of the smart water meters and knowing when an individual flushes their toilet. Now, all this sounds very James Bondish, but it's actually becoming used now because of the, uh, the, the connected way that we are in this society. And so it only takes a few keystrokes to actually locate valuable information on someone. And, you know, if you put additional effort into it and add a few of those, uh, you know, openly available tools I was talking about and watch a YouTube video uh, here or there, um, you can start to really um, become the target of a criminal and can be surveilled very easily in your life. To unwind all that is almost impossible. Um, but, uh, you know, there are specific things that you can do. Um, and individuals first need to understand their exposures. Um, one of the things that we kind of start to do when we do our initial assessments is let's inventory all your technology and let's inventory what it does and, um, you know, how it's connected. Um, we go into the configurations of those technologies. 
a lot of people, um, a lot of actual major celebrities have, have fallen victim to the way that iCloud syncs and the photos that they have um, that are out there and they didn't realize, they didn't want those photos out, but they synced and then somebody ends up, um, you know, breaching that, um, that iCloud instance or their device itself um, and then those, those kinds of things escape. So it's very programmatic um, and you have to, you know, be very intentional uh, when you start to reduce that footprint. That's a great question you asked because you know it takes so much to go and unwind from those things and it's 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 literally you know a a a program that you have to put in place either individually for yourself to say hey i know what everything that's connected but do i know how it's configured do i know how it's actually beaconing out do i know what's being you know synced quote unquote right um and and you know all for the convenience of of us you know of of uh, the humans you know technology is here for our convenience and it's that a lot of times but it now unfortunately it's exposing us. Well, and, yes, and, and to add, sorry, I was going to add to that just because um, I'm sure there are listeners who are saying I don't have my you know door locks online or um, you know I'm not using smart um, a smart refrigerator or things like that. But I think pretty much almost every person out there is probably going to say, yes, I have a smart TV and yes, I have a smartphone. And so, you know, some simple things that people can do is really go in and look at those settings, see what is turned on and see what is turned off and see what is being collected. Um, because by default, a lot of those, um, you know, systems are collecting or sending information, whether it be for research purposes or to give you access to things. And so, you know, as we mentioned earlier with TikTok and, and different applications that people may download to their phones, they're constantly asking for access to different pieces. And as like Chris mentioned with photos, you know, if you're giving access to your photos, to something to um, change the, the look of your face or to edit something or to make a change, that is giving access to that particular um, mechanism within your phone and collecting that data. So with each of those applications or devices that get connected, you're giving them permission to access certain areas within your, whether it be your smart TV, your smartphone or other things within there. So in each area, you're giving that permission to certain areas that collectively add to that digital footprint and give exposures to other areas within those devices. Absolutely. Just like I said at the beginning, brilliant information. You guys are just um, highly, highly intelligent when it comes to all this. And I think our listeners are absolutely going to agree, especially ones in the industry, that this threat is ever growing. From a targeter's perspective, from a guy that, you know, does the surveillance, goes out, finds the loopholes, and then brings, you know, both white hat or black hat people into the situation to identify um, and exploit, you know, I, I think that a lot of foreign, um, foreign state security, foreign entities are using these very things you guys are talking about to exploit, collect, um, and, and also harm certain aspects of, you know, economics and, and, you know, clients that may pose a, uh, an economic threat to them. So I, I think that this threat as it grows, it's, there's only gonna be more work, there's only gonna be more concern. When we talk about a digital footprint regarding someone of notoriety, um, high net worth, ultra high net worth, what's, what do you think the importance is for those folks, those family office managers, directors of security, 
to be performing their risk assessments when it, when it comes to the client's digital footprint? Yes, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, we oftentimes get asked that, you know, do, do we think that the digital footprint's, you know, actually more important to, to high notoriety, high wealth, uh, even a high stakes individual. So, you know, someone that has an important job um, that uh, an attacker may be targeting because of that job they have or who they're connected with um, in their line of work. Um, so the digital footprint, you know, is really important to everyone. Um, from a privacy and safety perspective, however, you know, to someone who's actually high notoriety, high wealth, uh, high stakes, it's more important to fortify it because they're actually more likely to be a target of criminals with more patience, resources, and, and bad intent. Um, so again, you know, when, once you start getting in this intel gathering piece, and I'm sure you've seen this in the work that y'all, the awesome work you guys do, um, you know, from the kinetic side, um, you know, they, when they take their time, you know, the, the they seem to be more nefarious. You know, they're, they're, when they're gathering intelligence, they have a lot of bad intent. They're trying to do it right. You know, they're taking their time with the attack. And, uh, you know, if you actually think about, I like putting things in, in just in terms of physical sometimes around cyber. And so if you think about a standard home, you know, there's locks on that home. There's there's possibly a home video surveillance system. There's possibly an alarm, you know, um, and it is fortified, but but no one, you know, actually knows what valuables are inside that home, uh, you know, not necessarily. So, um, you know, the criminal, you know, passes homes daily. But now think of a bank or jewelry store, and there's always locks. There's always video surveillance. There's always alarms, and there's even a vault in most cases, right? So this is because it's more likely a target due to it being known as a high value target. Same thing goes in, in cyber uh, in the way cyber attacks occur um, because it's, it's very similar to that because the high notoriety, high wealth, uh, high stakes individual, um, and even worse, they have to deal with motives um, uh, that may be um, atypical from what a, a, a criminal would, would, would have um, because they have to deal with motives, uh, you know, such as revenge, uh, you know, it's politically motivated, potentially, as you mentioned, you know, nation state sponsored, potentially, um, you know, activist motivated, you know, we're seeing a lot of that today, um, or, you know, again, nation state motivated, you know, rather than just the greed uh, uh, motive, you know, in our company, we do something very unique and we put a, a cyber criminological and cyber victimological approach to uh, the assessments that we do. So we actually give, um, you know, assign a victimological score and we look at for attribution and who's more likely to, uh, you know, be attributed to do an attack on, a, on an individual. So for, for the family offices, for the executive protection teams, you know, understanding that there's this, um, you know, kind of, uh, third dimension uh, that you have to look at um, outside of just the physical that can breach into the physical um, is very important. And those things, uh, you know, being the cyber intelligence that can be gathered on, on an individual. Uh, you know, we, we saw with, with Stuxnet, you know, that attack was a cyber attack and it turned into a dangerous situation because, um, you know, it, it, it attacked uh, machinery um, that was basically, you know, made to to uh, operate in a way and such it would cause danger to the people on the other side. Um, this same kind of thing can happen. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You talk about IoT, right? I mean, IoT. Yes. 
and and I think that's a term that's a term that we should be screaming from the rooftops right now, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I and of things is going. It opens up. It, it makes that leap. It, it, you know, when you say that, it makes that leap from cyber to physical because now you've got a physical device and a home and a car. Um, you know, there, there's, there have been successful hacks against um, the braking systems of vehicles, um, which you know, when used very um, nefariously to harm somebody, you know, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. So yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm a I'm very just... optimistic person, but I would say, you know, if you look at this from the, uh, I guess, scarier point of view is look at every piece of technology that is intended to make your life easier and take a second look at it and see, because obviously there is some effort to make money behind that or to potentially create a situation to um, commit a crime against you using that technology. So it's not that you don't want to use this technology and make your life better. It's, it's trying to use it in a way that you are educated and smart about the way that you use it. And you're able to um, make those adjustments, making sure you understand that awareness of the exposure it could create. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that when we talk about, you know, I mean, circuit override and different things from the from the physical red team perspective and all that, you know, I, I think there's such a blend with physical risk analysis, cyber risk analysis. Um, I, I don't think somebody should be top heavy on one or the other from a risk manager's I agree. You know, I, I think it's, I think it, def it depends on what your industry is, what you do uh, and what your exposure is. But I think from an assessment standpoint, Equality is very important on, on both the physical and the cyber. Um, how, you know, talk to us about, from what you can, obviously, um, due to OPSEC, but talk to us about unique situations that your firm has worked or seen. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll be very generic, but, um, you know, we've, we've seen situations, um, that, as I mentioned, where, um, you know, the, the ability to, attack those those home automation systems um, exists um, we we've successfully um, breached or penetrated those systems um, we've seen um, you know AV equipment that can be flipped around basically and utilized uh, as Ashley mentioned the smart TV for instance um, to surveil the uh, occupants within um, we have worked with executives and, you know, for instance, uh, worked with an animal byproducts executive um, who um, was experiencing, um, you know, protests and those types of uh, physical, you know, uh, pieces um, at their organization, but then also started experiencing um, trolling uh, from some animal rights activist groups. I say trolling or talking about, um, you know, invading every aspect of their online presence, you know, uh, uh, the people, you know, they call it trolls, um, but there are actual professional troll groups out there, just like there's professional, um, you know, uh, rioting groups and those types of, of things. The, these groups are uh, oftentimes attacked, attached to activist groups and they are really good at making someone's life a nightmare um, from the perspective of cyber. And so we've worked on those types of cases where, um, you know, they were doxing these individuals, placing their, um, their most sensitive data out into the public 
um, throwing it out onto social media, um, you know, following some of their YouTube videos um, and, um, you know, things that they were doing to promote themselves, their brand, um, and then, you know, making light of that, um, you know, uh, placing um, photos up um, that had been, you know, morphed um, and, and actually trying to destroy their reputation, you know, making up stories, um, you know, providing false information that wasn't true about these individuals and really caused them, you know, multiple um, uh, areas of uh, financial harm and reputational harm. It also causes a, a very serious emotional harm um, to these individuals. You know, we've seen um, very um, sad breakdowns of individuals um, because of what they've had to experience from a cyber perspective. And you know, Steve, the, 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 the problem too is that law enforcement, unfortunately, and I came from law enforcement, um, and it's nothing you know against them, but they are not prepared to handle cyber crime. Um, the, about the best you can get, uh, for cybercrime and for a law enforcement agency that can handle cybercrime, you're going to have to go to the federal level. And they don't have the time, you know, and there has to be certain thresholds before they get involved. Um, I know as a CISO, um, where I've dealt with, um, you know, data breach situations, uh, they wouldn't get involved until there's a certain monetary amount, um, you know, to the extent they can. It's because they're, you know, they're overworked. There's there's not enough of them. Um, and you start getting to the local agencies, I mean, you, it's, you can just kind of hang it up. For one thing, they don't have the training. Um, there's some limited training in cybercrime uh, out there for law enforcement, not a lot. Um, and we get the local jurisdictions, you know, it's all about, you know, having to solve the, the worst crimes first, obviously, which they should be. But um, the time it takes to investigate a cyber type crime is, is, is very difficult. So when we get involved in a situation, and some of those situations I mentioned to you that we could talk about, um, um, you know, we, we're able to give it specific focus. Um, we're able to actually take the time to investigate it. We've got to train the skills, you know, um, you know, between uh, Ashley and I, we have, you know, about six decades, seven decades of, of CISO uh, work uh, where we, you know, created those um, programs that protected, you know, Fortune 100 companies. Um, and I want to just inject something too about the Internet of Things devices that I just thought about. When, when you start thinking about, you um, um, the IoT devices, one thing people, I think your audience really needs to know is that IoT devices can't be updated um, as easily as, you know, when you get the notice that, hey, there's a new Microsoft patch on your computer, you go and update. Um, a lot of times they have to be flashed um, and that doesn't happen um, or they just don't have the ability to update. So those vulnerabilities that are found remain. And until you remove that device, that vulnerability is there and the ability to attack it is there. And that's some of what we saw in the one particular case I was talking about is they had an older um, type of IoT device that had that vulnerability. And unfortunately, the only way to, to remove that vulnerability wasn't to patch it or update it. They, it had to be removed. And so that convenience factor is immediately taken away um, But the way that they like to utilize this particular device. Um, and we had to quickly find a device that was shored up and um, and secure for them to kind of replace that piece. So, so let, let me ask a question because you mentioned something that's come up um, in my personal life with people that are that are that are both in the construction industry, right? Um, and and say custom home development. You have clients that build a brand new home 
and they put a control four unit in there. What's the exposure to those to those uh, those control four units that run security, lighting, heating, cooling, HVAC, all of that, right? What's what's the exposure to those clients? They are pretty much exposed to any activity that device um, can do. Um, it can be uh, one monitored for pattern of life activities. Um, you know that's that's something that can you know the logs that it produces, the information it's beaconing out. You know it has to be you know st the ability for the technology um, companies that produce those uh, units to um, be able to um, you know correct them or fix them when they have problems. So there's logs that are there. Um, and, and all of that it provides that pattern of life activity. It also, when you start talking about the uh, the physical pieces there, uh, if it's got a vulnerability, you can you can you can breach that device um, potentially, uh, and then you know have it um, you, you be utilized for the attacker's benefit. Uh, you know, for instance, you know you heard the stories about the Alexa um, and um, you know Siri listening in on your conversations. Well. They do. It stores conversations, you know, and um, a smart TV, a smart uh, lighting system, um, you know, can start to provide those uh, those pieces of intel information about when you're home, uh, when you're away, you know, what's what's your favorite month to take vacation. Uh, it, it really can go and and provide so much information, and so what you have to do. Um, you know, is is know what is beaconing out, and then you know block those types of transmissions. Uh, one thing we like to say, you know, uh, from the uh, from the CISO perspective, from being a CISO, um, is that there's always an administrator behind even the most protected piece of technology. So, uh, what does that mean? Well, that means there's a human being somewhere that has full access to everything, no matter how protected, how how encrypted, how um, you know, um, defended that technology is, there's always an administrator that has to be able to fix that so that that administrator can, can be a bad person. Um, that administrator uh, may not be bad, but they could have weak habits themselves that expose the technologies that they support. Um, so, you know, when you start putting in those types of systems that you talk about, you just talked about, um, you know, that, that actually manage the, the whole home kind of automation um, you're you're dealing with you know administrators. Um, you're, you're dealing with uh, weaknesses in, in human beings that actually develop the applications um, and the you know the vulnerabilities that they have. Um, you're you're dealing with um, you know things that you have to um, um, correct and, and have to correct at a certain period of time and quickly. Um, you know most of the time so that those vulnerabilities don't uh, don't you know get out into a situation um, that causes exposure for that client. What do you feel is the future of this? And, and when, we, when we move away from the conversation here and start talking about more OSINT type stuff, but what do you feel is the future? Is it only going to get worse? I mean, in, in just kind of a short answer, is it only going to get worse or are we getting, are we getting better? I know that's a, that's a hard answer to shorten, but <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you know, you've got quantum computing, you've got all these things that are, that are supposed to change and, and revolutionize cybersecurity. But are we really getting safer or are we really getting more and more exposed? 
I believe we are getting more and more exposed. <laughs> um, and I'm sure Ashley agrees with this. I mean, you think about big yes. data, you know, big data, another buzzword, but big data, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. Everything, just like Ashley mentioned, that uh, results in convenience also results in exposure. I mean, you can really look at it that way. It's unfortunate, but that's exactly the way it is. Um, you know, big data means that they're, you know, collecting all this data in one central location to make everybody's life easy. That's a, a very simplistic view of it, but it's also one big chunk of data in one place that has vulnerabilities that an attacker can get so much information from. You know, before um, um, computers, when, you, you know, there was fraud, uh, financial fraud, um, it wasn't that you, you know, you'd have to go steal a credit card or steal a checkbook. Now you can uh, access a database and have, you know, you, you had one victim in that case, then you have, you know, millions of victims um, with just a little bit of work. Um, you've got all their financial records. So I think it's only getting worse. And actually, I know you're going to want to input into that a little bit. <laughs> As well. Yes, I would agree. And like I said, though, I don't want I don't want this to be at all a discouraging conversation. I think this is where it comes in and where we really try to try to help our clients as we're doing this, because we recognize that in order to continue to operate these these pieces of changes and, and technologies are going to enter into an individual's lives and the lives of their families and their children. And so really taking a step back and saying, recognizing that these are things that I may or may not choose to use. You know, obviously there's going to be certain ones that they say I'm not going to use. You know, I'm not going to, as we mentioned, TikTok, I'm not going to download and use TikTok as a, you know, personal choice. Um, there are other things that people may choose to say, I'm going to accept that risk. Um, but recognizing what risk that exposed. So really understanding what data exposure is out there, um, what things about your usage habits are out there, recognizing what can be pulled back. So when we say reducing that digital footprint and what can't be reduced. And so when you are actually able to empower someone with understanding what their exposures are, that enables them to better understand when an attack is occurring or someone's trying to use an angle to get out there and gather certain information or use information in a way, they understand how to react to that. So a lot of our um, mission with our clients is, is giving them some of that training and understanding. You know, I, I always cringe when you see these, um, you know, let's, let's fill out these forms of, hey, let's answer all these questions and where did you meet me and let's talk about these things. And, you know, I try to inform individuals that's a, that's a data gathering exercise of let's understand some of these things about your life. And really, if you think about it, a lot of it reaches back into the past. So it's looking for answers to things that you might have used as security questions or that are possibly things that are in your life prior to technology that are not going to be as easy to find out there. And you're giving them a pathway to that. So it's really about empowering our individuals, our clients, individuals out there to understand these are the things that I can control and these are the things that I can't. These are the things that are already out there and understanding how those things may be used against you in an attack or in an attempt to expose you or your family or your organization. Yeah, I 100% I agree with everything you guys just said. I, I can't tell you, I am by no means a cyber expert, um, but from a risk manager's perspective, you know, I, I tell clients every day, you need to understand what your digital footprint is. You need to understand what your cyber exposure is because from the adversarial approach, um, you know, that, that's one way we, we look at things during a red team. We look at those exposures. So let's talk about the next problem set of exposures that I, I think is a big, 
a big tool that we use and, and, you know, everybody from the military side, law enforcement side calls it OSINT, um, open source. Yes. But can you explain to, to individuals that aren't familiar with the term OSINT or open source intelligence, um, what that means and both the deep and the dark web side of this conversation, you know, you have the general web. Can you, can you also explain, you know, the deep and the dark web for those that don't understand? Certainly, yes. And that's a, a, a topic that is uh, close to our hearts as well, uh, is, the, is the dark web. Um, you know, it's used a lot today as another, you know, unfortunately it's become a little bit of a buzzword um, to some uh, uh, organizations um, because, again, it's just not widely understood. Um, so you'll hear, you know, various different firms out there that say they monitor, um, you know, the dark web and what does that mean, you know, and so they may just be doing some keyword searches um, and things that aren't contextual, but for our uses, um, Stephen, and it's in the way that you, you utilize it as well, you know, to, to do your um, intel gathering, you know, is what what can you find out contextually about an individual? You know, what's the context and then what's valuable um, to, to use against them uh, if you're going to try and do an attack against them? And uh, unfortunately, all of us have exposures on the dark web. Um, so the, let's explain the dark web first. The dark web is really a, an area of the internet that is accessible only through um, uh, an encrypted session. So um, a Tor, for instance, um, one of the, the tools utilized to access um, the dark web. Um, and so um, it's not an area that you can go Google and see um, what's on the dark web. You have to actually be inside the dark web and be inside some of those um, um, nefarious areas out there. There's a lot of um, cyber criminal networks inside of the dark web. Um, and so uh, and some of those areas require you to be vetted. Um, just like if you're, you know, joining some nefarious group and they want to make sure you're not law enforcement, they want to make sure you're not uh, somebody investigating them, so they have to vet you. Um, and so to be, um, you know, vetted um, is, is a difficult thing. Um, but the, if you start to do those types of, of uh, searches, those searches are, are really looking for data that's been dumped out um, or some kind of information or intel. And when you start talking about open source intelligence, you know, that is really open source. It's just not known to a lot of people um, because they actually can uh, download that tool and access it. However, you know, the way and manner in which you do that is it, you have to be very careful because you can quickly commit a crime because you go somewhere that drops some photos. Uh, child pornography is rampant. Uh, on the dark web uh, on your machine and now you have possession of child pornography and, and those types of things but from the perspective of it being used against individuals you know most of the data dumps that have occurred um, that made the headlines uh, have been placed out on the dark web many of the uh, exposures of individuals um, and the communication networks the criminal element feels much more secure on the dark web so they'll exchange those types of things out there sensitive super sensitive information on some of the people they may be going to attack um, you know names dates of birth social security numbers addresses affiliations um, all those types of things are available out there um, in many cases on the dark web on specific people on all of us really I mean I would be willing to even take that leap and say majority of us who have any kind of credit profile have been 
some of our information has been doxed out on the internet or the dark web. You start talking about the surface web or the internet itself, that's the Google side. That's where you can Google in a search engine and, and start to find information. Now, open source intelligence is really not, um, it's, it's a, a super cool word, but it's really, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, that unique of a situation, of a, uh, of a, of a thing to do, um, let's just say, because it's really just information. It's like it says, information that's openly available to anyone. Um, now, there's various tools that, that people use. There's various techniques that people can use to go a lot deeper into those um, open source types of exposures. But, you know, everybody has some type of open source intelligence exposure. Um, and, and so, you know, when you start to do that Google on, you know, just looking at property tax records, for instance, you know, most all tax records are online. Um, you can find out something about the, an individual's home. Um, you know, you can find out some of their affiliations. You can actually, um, you know, we all know, and I know when I was doing SWAT operations, when I was in law enforcement full-time, we started to use Google Earth so you can get a, a good view of where you're going in. You know, what's the wood, wood line look like, uh, you know, near the home? What's the, you know, adjacent facilities beside it? Um, or the business that you may be, you know, going to serve a, a search warrant on. And so, you know, that all that feeds into open source. You know, I could go down a full, you know, probably hours worth of lists of, of what open source intelligence um, um, pieces are out there, but they're if, in, you know, sources. But if you, if you just start Googling, you know, and all these people finders and people searches and, you know, you can pay $5 here and 10 bucks there and, and find out things on people, um, you know, it, it's, it's out there. And the dark web is probably more the uh, more nefarious area again, um, you know, but there's general dumps of information out there. And there's some good material out on the dark web too. It's just uh, not really, you know, if you're dwelling in the dark web, you're, you're asking to be, you know, exposed to some type of criminal activity. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's just like any locations you go to. But, um, you know, it's, it's very uh, open source intelligence is, is a very useful tool when you start to uh, do an attack. It's used by penetration testers, uh, again, to gather, you know, the IP ranges um, that maybe a, a certain business or, or maybe even a home uh, may be part of, you know, based on the uh, the carrier that they're using, um, it, it's got, you know, again, name, date of birth, address, affiliations, um, you know, who you're connected with. And you start looking at SOSINT or social media intelligence, another cool word, but really just means social media intelligence. You're looking at, um, you know, the habits of individuals there, you know, where do they eat? You know, I've, I've often said that one of the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world right now is an intelligence agency at all. It's the social media platforms. I won't call out any specific names of platforms um, in that area, but you think about some of the more popular ones and the amount of information that those individuals and those um, technologists have from an open source perspective on all of us, they can predict your habits just because you like something or you don't like something or you go to this restaurant on this day and time, or you go to the lake, or you go to the ocean, and what times do you normally do that, and, you know, who were you with? It's it's um, 
it, you know, not to be discouraging, as Ashley said, you know, we really help our clients to start to reduce that and understand what it is. Um, and, you know, we get it. It's a lot. It's fun for a lot of people and it keeps people connected. But at the same time, there are so many exposures there from an open source intelligence perspective that you have to really be careful. Well, I, I, I can I can attest to that because I have tracked a lot of people down um, across the globe through OSINT. Um, we've used tools. We have yes. the tools. But I, I'll tell you, since I started in this industry, uh, in the executive protection, security, risk management, risk consulting industry, my ability to find information about people has gotten a lot better. I've done some courses, both in college, I've done some courses independently. And there is, I've got a laundry list of open source tools. You know, I, I briefly, uh, way back when I was in college, I interned at ATF as an investigative intern. And, you know, the, uh, the Bureau had given us a plethora of open source tools. And I was really surprised that a lot of the agents didn't use it more. But some of the agents had 75 to 100 proxy accounts, and they're tracking gang activity. I mean, their, their, their prosecutorial nexus was a video that a convicted felon in a music video that was self-made is brandishing a weapon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So we, we've mapped entire motorcycle gangs, uh, you know, and folks, you know, the, the whole criminal enterprises from social media intelligence, which is just what you're saying. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's crazy, you know, and I was amazed. I sat in, I sat in, uh, in a deposition and then in the, uh, and then the trial and, you know, the prosecutor's office used the, A the AUSA used that, that video to prosecute this gang member, which ended up rolling over on the entire gang, which led to, you know, drug trafficking charges led to uh, all kinds of stuff, prostitution charges, but it all stemmed from that agent assigning an analyst to, to watch these videos. And when they rolled the guy and they said, Hey, this is third strike. You're going away for 20 felon, felon in possession. You know, this guy flipped. So, I mean, on the law enforcement side, it's, a, it, it, you know, oh, it's a great tool on the security side, the, the CISO side, the director of security side, the physical EP side, open source is an amazing tool. I, I think that, I think that, you know, we should consider doing a webinar on it. I think that would be great with, you know, kind of shifting over from your guys' years of experience in the, in the CISO, the chief information security officer side, what would you say crosses over, you know, um, and, and would be good advice for, you know, both the directors of security, the, the high net worth and the average, you know, the average person from a cyber protection standpoint, um, how do you, how do you advise them? What do you say to them from, from that level? You know, take that one, Ashley. Absolutely. So I would say, if you know, we're looking at things within an organization, we've always said, um, particularly in, in our, our firm kind of steps away from the, the IT side. I mean, IT is an element of security. It's an element of processes within an organization. We've always said to effectively layer security and try to manage your risk. Um, we've said the same thing around trying to be compliant with regulations. So everything is about building this set of you know processes and things that you do within there that really applies universally to personal cybersecurity as well 
So not looking at things as a one size fits all approach that I'm going to go and, and purchase this or use this and this is going to solve all of my problems. You know, I've um, often gone to speak at, you know, various different conferences and, you know, we, we always internally joke about how you walk in here and everyone has I have the solution. I have the solution. Everything is a, a new solution and a new piece. Um, and, and we see a lot of fatigue on the corporate side, you know, from the chief information security officer perspective of all these different tools that come out quite frequently. And so really getting a chance to take a step back and say, you know, what are these pieces that come into play? So really looking at it and managing it, like you said, from a risk management perspective, understanding the exposure and understanding how you would look to protect it and the things that you can't protect how you analyze and prepare for that exposure, knowing that it's out there. So if you have a source of information that you know is exposed about what you do or what your processes are, you know, if we look at a lot of our, um, you know, say our, our celebrity clients, if, if there is a element of their um, life that is not going to change, that is going to continue to be exposed in the way, and there's going to be a certain amount of data that's out there about them. And so recognizing and empowering them to know these are the things out there so that if someone is reaching out to them about something, giving them the proper tools to vet it, just as we would as a company. You know, when we're working with a corporation, say if it's a, a merger acquisition situation, we always say that you are only as secure as that weakest portion um, that weakest link within the environment so that if two companies are coming together um, and you're putting networks together, that network being, you know, whichever one is the strongest network is not the one that's the one, um, you know, leading the charge, it's the weaker network. And so recognizing that also within your personal connection. So in some, time, some cases, you may have taken every step possible to protect yourself, but you may have a family member or an associate. Uh, maybe it's your investment advisor. Maybe it's a, a different element within your organization, your kind of close core, that their cyber habits may not be as strong as yours and recognizing those exposures. So every bit of information that is shared across with them, whether it be, you know, attending an event or the fact that you do, um, you know, business with this individual is, is a potential point of exposure and recognizing how to be prepared to counteract and attack that could be orchestrated from that perspective. So you, you mentioned something that's been a point of contention of mine um, on the risk management side for years now, which is IT departments managing cyber risk. Absolutely. There's, uh, there's a lot of debate on that in the industry. And, and Chris and I've obviously had our own um, thoughts on that as well. You know, yeah. there needs to be the, delineation between those areas and that's not I don't say that from the perspective of um, working together because it's very critical that they work very effectively together um, but we do see there needing to be a delineation between the um, independent of decision making and being having equal exposure at that um, you know and I hate the buzzword seat at the table um, but I did a whole webcast series on security in the boardroom and, and around that element of having that section, but they need to have an equal voice and they need to have the exposure not only to the other executives within the organization, but also within the board itself. And so being able to have the ability to say, you know, th this technology needs to be secured a different way, or maybe we need to explore this technology um, a little differently than, than as planned and being able to have that um, respect and communication level is, is very important because there's not, the answer is not necessarily on the technology side. You know, technology can be an enabler. Technology can also be a hindrance 
um, to the process. And so really taking a step back to look at um, technology as just a piece of security um, and not as, you know, the, the, the be all end all of the security or the operations of the organization itself. So for, for individuals that deal with cybercrime um, that are affected by cybercrime, is it, is it easy to investigate and prosecute? It is not. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it, it kind of, as I mentioned, you know, it, it, you know, we're all used to being able to go to, you know, local law enforcement when there's specific types of crimes, you know, that we're dealing with. But unfortunately, you know, again, you know, the uh, law enforcement's just not trained for that. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems um, of cybercrime is that it's extremely difficult to investigate, extremely difficult to prosecute. Um, you know, it's it's cross uh, it crosses jurisdictional borders. Um, you know, globally even. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, again, you know, law enforcement's not trained. But then when you have the global jurisdictional problem, and you know, whose jurisdiction does it even fall in to begin with? And then how hard it is, how difficult it is um, to to be able to get attribution back to who actually did it. Um, and then, you know, the digital forensics investigation that you have to perform as part of that is all more complex type of crime. Not saying that's not uh, investigatable. It certainly is. Um, and you certainly can get prosecutions out of it. Um, oftentimes, um, what we see with our firm is, you know, a lot of the our clients will go after the individuals from a civil perspective, you know, tort law. And, and so they're actually suing um, once the uh, crime is attributed or the the wrong is attributed. Um, you know, there's there's this whole conversation uh, in the in the research facilities around cybercrime. What's a cybercrime and what's a cyber wrong? It's very interesting when you start to, to look at how they consider it. The laws amongst all the 50 states in the United States differ for various cyber things that can occur to somebody, you know, stalking, cyber stalking, right? Um, oftentimes, there's not a cyber stalking statute in the books, but there's a stalking statute in the books. And so you have to kind of cross um, into those um, you know, elements of the crime to figure out, can it be prosecuted from a criminal perspective? And when it's not, then you go uh, from a civil perspective and, and trying to deal with it. Uh, we've done things um, like site takedowns, um, you know, cease and desist, uh, working with some of our very valued law partners that we uh, work with uh, and, and being able to actually help the individuals that are experiencing these uh, very difficult types of cyber crimes, cyber wrongs um, that, that are occurring to them. And they're able to, uh, to you know, have a successful civil uh, suit against them or, you know, be able to successfully, you know, force some of the larger, um, you know, social media providers or, um, you know, other providers out there, application providers to remove data uh, on them uh, or their families, you know, or even their, their close um, connections that they work with, um, you know, based on what they're experiencing. So it's, it's very difficult. You know, bottom line is it's very difficult to investigate. It's, it's hard to prosecute. Um, this is why you don't see a whole lot of it in the news. You know, you'll see occasionally, you know, they'll catch a hacking group, um, uh, you know, some of the business email compromise groups. We worked uh, several large cases last year around business email compromise. Um, and some of the folks that were uh, involved in that. So, um, you know, I, I think from, I think it's going to get, to a point that law enforcement's going to have to get better at it. Um, and in the meantime, um, 
they're going to have to come to organizations, you know, like ours um, that actually has that experience and can help them through those very um, challenging types of investigations that they need. Um, and then, then we start talking about, you know, victims assistance. There's several, you know, organizations now out there that are trying to help victims, cyber victims, because um, they have their own unique um, types of emotional trauma they're dealing with, you know, from that perspective too. So. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears a little bit to talk about children in cybercrime um, because I know this is something that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Are, are children more susceptible to cybercrime, teenagers, young children that have IOT devices? Yes, I think, I think they are. Um, and reason being, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there's a very nefarious and vile segment of our population that prey on children. Um, you know, I've personally seen how these individuals, um, you know, know how to use those technologies to entice children and to prey upon them. You know, children are innocent. Um, they don't suspect, um, they don't have the cynicism that um, we develop as adults uh, around, you know, uh, what people can do to each other. And so they're very vulnerable in that sense. They're also very vulnerable to that. That, And I know we, we all are on the, you know, same passion about this. Um, but, you know, that very uh, foul segment of population that, that preys on children. And, and so, unfortunately, that segment knows the, the places that those children dwell online. That segment knows the types of devices they use, the gaming devices that are online, the um, social media areas that they like to go into, the you know the uh, you know three-dimensional worlds that they that they you know go into, and and uh, without calling any specific applications or, or providers out, um, they dwell in those areas. Um, and when they and they do that for the whole you know intent of of preying on those children, um, and you start getting into the you know the preteen, the teen uh, years and ages, you know they start to use extortion techniques, you know trying to uh, have these uh, these children you know expose themselves, um, and then utilize those photos to extort them and get more photos. There are entire call centers around uh, sexual exploitation and in that sense of extorting um, children uh, in, uh, in foreign countries um, where they, you know, they get paid to do that and get as many photos as they can and then extort those children um, for that purpose. So I think this makes children so much more susceptible just because they're, again, just very innocent. You know they're they're unsuspecting, and then there's that again that vile segment that's so determined to you know victimize those children. Yeah, I completely agree with Chris, and and that's where you know when we're working with our clients. We really focus on looking at their cyber victimological profile and understanding not only as the client themselves, their children, and and their exposure points. Um, and, and understanding that and being able to make sure that those children understand that in a way that is not a way to scare them, but makes them aware of those, those risk exposure areas and, and understanding uh, where to trust and where not to trust. You know, our children are inherently, as Chris said, trusting um, individuals. They have not seen all of the things that, that we have, may have seen in, in the world, and they, um, you know, may have a tendency to trust the wrong individuals online. And so allowing them to understand in a way that they're aware, but not scaring them um, of these types of exposures that could be out there and the ways that individuals might attempt to get 
um, their information or to um, entice them in any way to, to get them in where they are able to recognize those types of situations and be able to step away from them and to be able to alert the, the right um, adult and their family or within the executive protection team when they do see those attempts is something that is, is very critical. Um, we, you know, also see a lot of cases where we're monitoring for some of those exposures also there with our clients and, and able to alert from that perspective as well. And so it really takes um, an awareness to try to, to help protect these children, not only on the, the, the source of the children themselves, the, the individual, the client, um, themselves, but also the executive protection team that's working with them. So working together, there, there is the ability to reduce this risk. And when that risk is um, still exposed, being able to, to stop it before it becomes something that is, um, you know, a, a true exploitation. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, we have seen these cases. Um, last year, we had a very big case regarding uh, a family that was targeted. Um, and, you know, it was it was a long game targeting operation, right? They they connected with an individual via social media. They built rapport, and then they moved in to exploit. So, you know, these these incidents are very real. Um, from the security side, we we see it. Um, how how do how do you guys advise the clients, whether it's a celebrity client? whether it's a normal client, high net worth, how do you advise them to reduce their exposure to cyber crime or um, cyber victimization? Yeah, I think one of the one of the key things there is, um, as Ashley just mentioned, is really uh, education. You know, there, there's components, some key components to any cybersecurity program at a, at a um, corporation, um, and so it's it's very similar to individuals as well. Um, you know, when you start talking about the three kind of pillars we we talk about, uh, one being um, one of those is education and is in governance. So being able to govern um, your own cybersecurity. And so for individuals to protect themselves, they need to, to govern their, their exposure, their technology usage, um, and understand it. You know, all that governance starts with understanding. Where can you be exposed um, and what, you know, exactly are people trying to, to uh, get um, relative to information on you or relative to, you know, um, how they could attack you. Another point, uh, you know, another major pillar is incident response and be able to respond to that. So having the ability to um, quickly deal with that situation. So having an executive protection team is absolutely awesome and, and very vital and important for um, for people, you know, the, the that can utilize the EP teams to assist them. Um, and then, you know, another and then the final pillar is really risk validation or validating that risk, assessing yourself. And that's very difficult to do, um, and oftentimes that's why you know uh, major companies and and uh, uh, organizations, governments do what's called a penetration test um, or a risk assessment on themselves. And so that's what a lot of part of what we do as an organization. We provide that um, a risk assessment piece um, through our cyber VIP program. We provide that risk validation piece or the you know a testing piece through our um, through our organization, and then the education piece. Um, as Ashley mentioned, you know we've had many of our high notoriety um, celebrity clients that have asked us to speak with their children, um, and in a way that is um, you know not. Uh, frightening to them and in a way that really helps them to be educated and kind of make it fun at the same time. 
you know, and, and help them to understand that there are people out there that are trying to do bad things. And because of their exposure, uh, kind of overexposure, they are uh, more likely to be um, targeted for that. So, um, Well, Chris, you know, we're discussing cybersecurity, CI2A, you guys do amazing work. Um, tell our listeners how they would reach out to you if they, if they had questions, concerns, or needs. Absolutely. I think they can visit our website at ci2a.us, um, and uh, you know all our contact information is there. Probably easiest way and manner. Um, and um, you know it, we're we're very easy to engage with. You know all all of our um, offerings are very customizable. You know we're doing work in the cyber VIP realm uh, as well as in the advisory CISO realm. So we're we still do a lot of work for uh, major organizations and multiple verticals to uh, you know help build out their cybersecurity programs, operationalize their cybersecurity programs, and then run those cybersecurity programs. And then from the cyber VIP perspective, we're really the only organization that has created a framework. Um, we've got it trademarked. It's going uh, into a patent process right now because of its uniqueness um, and its ability to to provide that comprehensive type of assessment. And we work, um, you know, very used to working with executive protection teams. Um, you know, you you guys as an awesome organization, you know, I know that you know it's us working with with y'all and. And um, so if they if they want to reach out to us, we are here. Uh, we're available. We have um, intelligence specialists. We have, um, you know, the former CISOs um, that we have in, in our uh, in our circle uh, on our bench. And we have digital forensic examiners and uh, incident responders. We can pretty much handle any type of cyber crime uh, and um, also be able to handle um, prevention and uh, and you know techniques to uh, to reduce the exposure of individuals um, just as much as organizations um, with our program. Well, I appreciate your guys' time, and I know our listeners will appreciate all the information. Um, until next time, that's a wrap. We appreciate you for listening. Um, reach out to us, tngdefense.com. Any questions? Um, all of our contact information is there. Thank you. Thank you all very much. listening to the North Group Podcast, we're security, refined by intelligence. If you have questions for us, they can be emailed to info at tngdefense.com or visit our website at www.tngdefense.com. Don't forget to subscribe and stay safe.